you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7 and then verse 17. Again, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 and then verse 17. Uh, we are, just to let you know, we are looking at, as of right now, having an in-person, it will be online as well, but an in-person Ash Wednesday service. That is, uh, it'll be in here so that we can social distance and everything, wear your mask, all of that. Um, and it'll be uh, at, on Ash Wednesday is February the 17th, I believe it is. And uh, so it'll be that night at 6.30. Um, and then, of course, um, the next day we'll be, uh, we'll be starting Lent. Um, and and uh, actually it'll start that next Sunday, but we'll be with our Thursday night service starting our Lenten series. And it's going to be from Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's called God's Report Card for the Church. And um, I know that kids, I think, just got report cards a couple of weeks to go or whatever, well, um, Revelation is where Jesus actually gives a report card for the different churches that are there. And so um, be praying as we put that together. We're doing our own. A lot of times we'll, we'll use uh, a study from one of the publishers or whatever, but we are actually doing our own this year. And so um, I'm right, written the sermons, and now Pastor Kim is... Uh, she is writing the devotional that the groups and everything I go with. So be praying for her because her deadline is coming soon. But anyway, like this week. But anyway, she is working hard on that and making it happen. So uh, pray for her as we complete that. And we'll have devotionals for everyone and, um, and discussion questions, all that good stuff. But anyway, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and then verse 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab, and Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. That is Bathsheba, by the way. And Solomon begot Rehoboam. And Rehoboam begot Abijah. And Abijah begot Asa. Now, we're going to go ahead. You can read the rest of the begots if you like. But we're going to begot right on to the end uh, to uh, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and well and speaks to us this morning. Let us hear it. Let us be challenged. Let us be changed. And may we never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are uh, well into this series now, uh, talking about the Old Testament and how it is our 
family tree. It is our spiritual family tree. Just like it's, it's sort of the Old Testament is sort of like our spiritual ancestry.com or spiritual one, two, three, and me. And, and it gives us uh, the look of where we came from spiritually. And so we should never unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because of the richness that it gives us in that. Now, we've talked about the families, some of the families and some of the folks in the Old Testament, and we see that this surely is God's great big dysfunctional family tree because you would think uh, with the Old Testament being the line that gives us Jesus that all these folks would have been perfect and holy in some way, but if you look at it, it it's not really like that at all. In fact, the first Sunday we talked about uh, the first family and Cain and Abel, and Cain ends up jealous over Abel, kills his brother Abel, is banished from uh, the place by God. I mean, I don't know about you all, but that sounds a little dysfunctional to me, uh, but we found out that we cannot let resentment continue we cannot, we are our brothers and sisters keepers and that God's grace is still always extended. And then we look the next week at Moses and the four don'ts so that we can be used by God that we learn from Moses and that's don't let your past deter your uh, purpose, don't let your defect define or disqualify you, don't let your setback silence you and don't let your performance take the place of God's presence in your life. And then we looked at David, good old David. We looked at him last week, and we saw that he was good from being a shepherd boy to fighting Goliath to becoming the king and having the vision to build God a temple. And and then, of course, there was the bad whenever he ends up committing adultery and going even farther than that, having Uriah the Hittite, who was the husband of Bathsheba, killed in battle. And, and, And then we see the beautiful that happens whenever David repents, and God restores him in that way, and we can see that in our own lives. And so we've been talking about all these guys that I promised that we would get to the next time, uh, to the next sermon, and it would be ladies' night, all right? So yep, y'all got it going on, all right, good. And so, and, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing the Cool in the Gang song, it's ladies' night, you know, but anyway, um, I won't be doing that or anything. But, but we are going to be talking about some ladies uh, this morning, and if you look at, you know, One of the places where you really see the bloodline of Jesus, where you see it kind of lined out, is in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's gospel, of course, he was, pre, uh, he was writing to a Jewish audience wanting to persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he starts it out by showing how Jesus came all the way from the bloodline of Abraham. And so he does this through the genealogies. You find those in Genesis and other places, but you definitely find it right here in Chronicles. I know it's in there, but you definitely find it right here in Matthew. And in there he talks about a lot of men begotten a lot of men. So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. That means they were the father of and, and had this child. But there are four women that make it into Matthew's gospel. Four women that make it into our family tree, our spiritual family tree, Jesus' family tree, four women. Now, you would have thought these women would have been holy women. You would have thought they would have somehow been uh, excelling in in certain ways like that. But I'm going to talk about those four women tonight. In fact, there's a painting that was done, an Advent painting called The Four, and these are the four that were in there. And that's uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about those four. And so let's look at the four women in Jesus' family tree, the four women that make it into Jesus' family tree in Matthew's gospel. Number one, 
The first one was Tamar. Now, I'm just going to tell you about these four women for a little while, just for a few minutes this morning. Tamar, Tamar most likely, I mean, maybe you've heard of her, I don't know. I think this story was probably left out of most of the children's Sunday school or children's Bibles. But Tamar is in this uh, tiny little part of Genesis 38. Genesis chapter 38. Now, you remember Judah was one of, the tw- uh, one of the sons of Jacob. And so Judah is one of the tribes of Israel, uh, fathers of one of the tribes. And there were 12 tribes. And, and of course, Jesus' bloodline comes from the tribe of Judah. Now, Judah uh, was not always the best character, all right? He was not always a great guy. And anyway, uh, he had three sons. And there was some age between each of those sons. And the first son uh, takes Tamar as his wife, and, and, uh, and, you know, the whole thing back then uh, was, first of all, women in many ways were seen as second-class citizens. It was a patriarchal society. They were just seen like that and, and viewed like that. And so for their names to even be in the genealogy of, uh, of Jesus is a really big deal. But Tamar was determined she was wanting to carry on the bloodline. She was wanting to carry on the bloodline, Judah's bloodline. And so she married Ur, and Ur um, and Tamar go into the tent. And Ur, now I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you can go back and read this in Genesis 38 after the service or sometime, but it is rated R, okay? I'm just going to say it, so I'm not going to kind of give you any more than that. But Ur finds a way not to, to, to make sure that Tamar uh, does not become pregnant with his child. And Ur leaves the tent after that and falls dead. Watch out, guys, all right? So anyway, he, he's dead. So Judah says, well, I tell you what, you can wait. Tamar, you can wait until Onan gets old enough and Onan can give you a child and continue the bloodline. And so she waits till Onan's old enough, and when Onan and her get married, go into the tent, the same thing. Onan does the same thing, makes sure that it doesn't happen, and then falls out dead. God strikes him dead. So, I mean, men, you better watch out, all right? And, and all, because he, he wanted a bloodline. I mean, he wanted an offspring, all right? So anyway, so Judah says now, well, you can wait till Shelah gets old enough. And Tamar's like, I am tired of waiting. I mean, good gracious. And so Judah's wife has died, and Judah decides to go out on a night uh, for a night on the town. And Judah goes and into town, and Tamar finds out that he's going, and she goes and dresses up like a prostitute. All right, she puts this veil on, she dresses up like the prostitute, and Judah uh, hooks up, they, they go to the tent and everything, and, and afterwards Judah's like, well, uh, you know, I, I, I will pay you a goat. I mean, forget the $50 thing, it's goats now, you know what I'm saying? See, he says, I'll pay you a goat, and I'll send that goat, and she's like, well, how do I know you're going to actually send it? And so he says, i tell you what, keep my signet, that's his signet ring, and with showing who it is, my signet, my cord, and my staff as collateral, all right? And whenever my servant takes the goat to you, you can give all that back. Well, weekend gets over with, and Judah sends the goat, and the servant cannot find anybody. And they say, there is no prostitute that hangs around these city gates. I don't know who you're talking about. And Judah's like, hmm. That don't make any sense. But anyway, so it happens that several weeks later, of course, Tamar is pregnant with Judah's baby, all right? 
I know this is kind of halfway PG right here. But anyway, Tamar is pregnant with Judah's baby. And, um, and of course, Judah hears about this. And she's supposed to be waiting for her son, I mean, for his son to get old enough, you know. And so Genesis 38 is what, uh, verses 24 and 25. Look at what happens here. And it came to pass about three months after, three months, not three weeks, I'm sorry, that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. All right? He says, we're going to, you know, she's going to be a lesson for everybody here. And when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, by the man whom these belong, I am with child. In other words, the father of the child is the owner of these. And, of course, what does she bring out? The signet and the cord and the staff. Judah was busted. And he's like, whoa. And, of course, he then repents and he says, I'm wrong. And, no, we're not going to burn her. I'm the one that did wrong and everything. And she ends up having twins. Perez is the firstborn of the twins. And Perez ends up in the bloodline of Jesus. Tamar. What a woman. The second woman is Rahab. Now, the first woman dressed up like a harlot, Rahab actually was the harlot. In fact, uh, most folks know Rahab as Rahab the harlot, which is a prostitute. All right? And, and Rahab, uh, this is in the story that where Joshua, they're about to take the city of Jericho. And you remember how they take that? They march around it seven days and on the seventh day seven times. And then they shout and the walls come tumbling down. Well, before that, they sent in two spies. And the two spies go into Jericho, and they're hiding out, and the king gets wind that they're in there, so he sends out a search party, and they're searching everywhere. And Rahab, of all the people that end up helping the spies, Rahab the harlot says, I believe in your God, the God of Israel, and I, because of that, I'm going to help you. And so she hides them in, her, in the roof of her house of ill repute. Now, if you're wondering what that is, ask your Sunday school teachers later on, all right? But anyway, uh, and in fact, I had a family member that said their, mother, their grandmother used to run a house of ill repute. But anyway, that's, a, that's another story there. But the thing is, Tina's looking at me. Don't go there, Tim. But anyway, so, so she hides them in the house of ill repute up there, and then she helps them escape out of the walls of the city and they escape, and then, of course, she, before she does, she says, well, will me and my family be spared? They said, listen, yes, make sure that you hang a scarlet ribbon outside, out of or a scar, scarlet cord out of your window, and we will know that when we're sacking the city that we will not harm your family. Not only did they not harm her family, she ends up joining with them, her and her family, and she ends up being uh, marrying in to the bloodline of Jesus. And she's named in Matthew's gospel. Now, I don't know about you. That's two right there. One dressed up like a harlot. The other is a harlot. And they are in the bloodline. They are in the genealogy of Jesus. What a woman. Number three, Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. She was from Moab. 
Elimelech and Naomi are from Bethlehem, and they go to Moab during a famine, and they go to Moab, and uh, they have two sons. Uh, the two sons is Malon and Chilion. Now, every time I say Chilion, it makes me hungry because I think about Chile. I don't know why. But anyway, but Malon and Chilion. Ruth ma- marries Malon. Orpah marries Chilion. All right? Well, the dad of Limelech dies, and then Malon dies, and then Chilion dies. Now, I don't know about y'all, but it sounds like the men in the Old Testament had a rough time. Amen? I mean, a lot of dying going on. But, but anyway, Ruth is the widow of Malon. And, of course, Naomi says, listen, I'm going back to Bethlehem. Uh, I, I, I don't want to be here anymore. In fact, she even, names, uh, she even changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. And so she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She's down. She's discouraged and all of that. And Orpah says, okay, I'm going to go on about my life. But Ruth doesn't. Listen to what Ruth says. And these are those famous words from Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And Ruth sticks with Naomi. They go back to Bethlehem, and on the threshing floor, it's a great love story if you read it, on the threshing floor, she meets this guy by the name of Boaz. Boaz redeems her family because of the debt that was owed, because of the family farm and all of that. He redeems her family. He marries Ruth. And Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David. What a woman. And then there's one more. One more. Bathsheba. Don't forget about Bathsheba. In fact, she gets in there, but Matthew doesn't even say her name. He actually says the woman that David begot Solomon from the woman who was Uriah the Hittite's wife, or Uriah's wife. Bathsheba, of course, we talked about her a little bit last week. She was bathing on a roof. David sees her. He inquires about her. He should have left her alone, but yet he ends up summoning her. And back then, if you were summoned, you had to go So, like, she didn't have any choice. That is not okay. And she, um, they end up, uh, she ends up getting pregnant. He tries to cover it up by killing Uriah the Hittite, her husband. The baby ends up dying. And Bathsheba's there without a husband and now without a baby. But David, God still uses her. God still works. She ends up marrying David. And they have Solomon, Solomon, who is known as one of the greatest kings and one of the wisest persons next to Jesus. Bathsheba, adulteress, Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. She makes it into Jesus' bloodline. What a woman. These four... These four women, I don't know about you, but they, it wasn't what I was thinking it was be, it going to be. Now, there's two things that we learn from this, and I just want to go through them quickly. 
Two things that we learn from this. The first is this. We don't choose who God will use. We don't get to choose who God will use. God is able to use anybody that God wants to. I mean, look at who he chose to use as the mother and the earthly parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Joseph, an ordinary carpenter, Mary, a young virgin, and he uses them to be the parents of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he uses Tamar, and he uses Rahab, and he uses Ruth, and he uses Bathsheba. And they're not holy women. They're dysfunctional. But you know what this lets me know? This lets me know that there's hope for me. This lets me know that there's hope for you. There's hope for us. Because in the midst of our dysfunction, God still can use each and every one of us. We don't get to choose who God can use. And then the second part is this. God always makes room at his table. He always makes room at his table. I, I remember back in from early grade school uh, at the school cafeteria. And I know everybody's probably been there at least once. And, and to your, you can remember going, you got your lunch. It's those square pizzas that you pulled the cheese off, and they were just good. I know they weren't good for us, but they were just good. Amen. And, 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 and thank the Lord they had those every day, <laughs> along with whatever else they were having. It was always a pizza day at our school. But you probably remember going and, and the table with your friends, and there it is, and they're all sitting around the table. And if the table was full one of two things was going to happen. Either your friends were going to say, oop, table's full, you're going to have to sit somewhere else. And no matter if they meant it as a mean thing or not, it still always hurt just a little bit. Or they could do this. Hey, hey, wait a minute. We're going to slide and we're going to squeeze you in. And didn't that feel good? When they made room and squeezed you in at the table, and you know, that kind of thing just kind of continues to make you feel good whenever you, no matter if it's the, the school cafeteria or the college cafeteria or even a family night supper, Wednesday night suppers. And man, I've missed the Wednesday night suppers here, amen? But no matter how old you are, if you're up there and it don't look like you're going to have a seat and somebody says, come on, we'll squeeze you in, there's just something about it that lifts your heart. Folks, the good news is that even though there were four dysfunctional women, Matthew made room and squeezed them in. He squeezed them to the table. He squeezed them into his story. And that's good news. I love what Ann Voskamp writes about the four. She writes it about the four that are in that picture. She says, The family tree of Christ startlingly notes not one woman but four. Four broken women, women who felt like outsiders, like has-beens, like never-beens, women who were weary of being taken advantage of, of being unnoticed and uncherished and unappreciated, women who didn't fit in, who didn't know how to keep going, what to believe or where to go, women who had thought about giving up, and then Jesus claims exactly these are who? The wandering, the wounded the worn out, are all his. And he grafts you into his line and into his story. 
and into his heart. And he gives you his name, his lineage, and his righteousness. And as we gather at the table this morning, what we can know and what we can celebrate is that he has said, slide over a little bit. I'm making room for each and every one of you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I'm making room at the table for you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you can use us and that there's hope for us. And we see, Lord, that even in the midst of dysfunction or even in the midst of trials and tribulations, you make a way and you squeeze us in and make room at the table. Lord, now help us to say, I will. Help us to just simply say yes to you this morning. And as we come around this table together, help us take in the grace and the love that only you can give as you graft us into that great family, the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.